Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. Before we get started, I wanted to make a note that if you are in the Bible Reading Challenge that can be found at Christkirk.com slash Bible Challenge, next week we will be entering the book of Revelation. As we all know, Revelation is one of the tougher books in the Bible, and so before we get there, as I mentioned, we're a week away, head to canonpress.com and get Douglas Wilson's Revelation Commentary when the man comes around. So, if you're not already in the Bible Reading Challenge, please join us. You can find the reading plans at christkirk.com slash biblechallenge, and make sure you grab Douglas Wilson's Revelation Commentary when the man comes around at canonpress.com. Welcome to the podcast, episode 140. Good to have you with us. Thanks for taking the time. So we're still talking about the COVID-19, but one of the reasons why COVID-19 is such a rich subject is that it shakes other subjects loose. And I'm not going to talk about the uh, pandemic or the, or the virus here so much as here's an issue that it shook loose for us. And that is Romans 13. That is for Christians, we're, we're, Christians are told to obey the existing authorities. Christians are not to be scofflaws. Christians are not to be the kind of people who reflexively, automatically say, no matter what, don't tell me what to do. We are to be dutiful. We're to be submissive. We're to pray for the, you know, we're to honor the emperor. We're to, we are to um, be straight up good citizens. So when it comes to, when, if we ever get to the point of civil disobedience, one of the reactions that we should be getting from people is, you, you guys, you know, <laughs> you're resisting? I, I thought you were kind of straight-laced, right? Well, when we look at Romans 13, and when we look at 1 Peter 2, so those are two places where you have a very stern and very uh, strong description of what our attitude toward the civil magistrate should be. Um, and when people say, well, you know, the, the governor said you're in lockdown, and the governor said you can't plant those seeds in the backyard, so you're disobeying Romans 13 if you go out there and, you know, plant your watermelons. Is that true? Okay. Uh, is that correct? Is that right? Well, no. Now, it's an enormously complicated issue, but I want to begin with some obvious things. We, when we're talking about 1 Peter 2 and when we're talking about Romans 13, we have to remember the, the basic exegetical principle, basic hermeneutical principle, is that you interpret Scripture in the light of Scripture. You interpret a particular passage of Scripture in the light of all of Scripture. Okay? So, um, who wrote Romans 13? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote Romans 13. How did the Apostle Paul's life end? He was executed by the authorities because he was a threat to their authority. Okay, so the man who wrote, be submissive to the existing authorities, because no authority exists except has been established by God, that man was 
executed. He was a Roman citizen, so he was executed by beheading. We get from tradition that's not in Scripture, but as a citizen, he would have been uh, not crucified. And the Apostle Peter, who wrote 1 Peter 2, was also executed, and tradition says he was crucified upside down because he said that he was not worthy to be uh, crucified the same way the Lord was. So, Peter, who told us to be obedient to the existing authorities, was crucified. And Paul, who told us to be obedient to the existing authorities, was executed. In addition, in Acts, the man who wrote those words in 1 Peter 2 was arrested and thrown into jail by Herod, and an angel comes and breaks him out of jail. Okay, um, hits him on the side, gets him up, walks him out to the street, um, and Peter goes to the house of John Mark, where they're having a prayer meeting for him, and tells his story, and he disappears. He then disappears from the book of Acts, a wanted man. He is an escaped prisoner. Okay, so whatever First Peter 2 means, it does not mean turn yourself in at the nearest cop station if the authorities want to talk to you. That's not what First Peter 2 means. And um, what do we learn about Paul? For example, um, in Corinthians, the Apostle Paul escaped from King Aretas. Okay, how did he do that? Well, he was lowered from the city walls in a basket. What was he doing? He was running a roadblock. He was evading arrest. <laughs> he was driving off in an unmarked car. So, the people who take Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 and put them on a plaque and decoupage them and put them up on the wall in an absolutist sort of way are not doing justice to the context of Scripture at all. All right? Not doing justice at all to the fact that the men who wrote those words would be not hired by many modern churches because of all the jail time they've spent because of the, uh, the difficulties they got into with the authorities. So one other thing, uh, one other aspect about this. In Romans 13, it says that the existing authorities are God's deacon. The word, it uses the word diakonos uh, a few times. The existing authorities are God's deacon, God's servants, and they are appointed by God to do a particular thing. And that particular thing is to punish the wrongdoer and reward the righteous. And Peter says the same thing, something very similar in 1 Peter 2. They're to reward the righteous and punish the wrongdoer. Now, think about this for a minute. We are not told, uh, we are not told what to do precisely when the magistrate gets the bit in his teeth and starts punishing the righteous and rewarding the wrongdoer. Now, obviously, there are some times where you just uh, submit, you, you suffer quietly because they've got the guns and they arrested you and they've got the handcuffs, and there you are, right? But you can, uh, you, you can suffer those sorts of things quietly without acknowledging that they have the right to do what they are doing. So, for example, if you're walking late at night and in a bad part of town, and you get mugged, and someone sticks a gun in your ribs and says, give me your wallet. Now, you can hand over your wallet without relinquishing the principle that he has no right to your wallet. The reason you're turning your wallet over is because he has the gun, not because he has the right. Okay? 
Now, if you had the good fortune to be mugged by an absent-minded mugger who, who said, oh, where, oh, I thought I brought my gun. Where, you know, where's my gun? And he starts hunting around for it. If you pick that moment to hightail it, if, if you say, well, I think I'm, I can outrun him and he can't find his gun and you took off, are you violating Romans 13 when you take off? No, no more than Paul was violating Romans 13 when he evaded arrest by King Aretas. No more than Peter was violating 1 Peter 2 when he disappeared from the book of Acts with his picture hanging up in all the post offices. Continuing on with uh, podcast episode 140, the word atoktos is very similar to the one we considered last time, atoktos. Uh, this word is rendered by the KJV as unruly, and it only occurs one time. That one time is in 1 Thessalonians, which means that the warnings about dis- uh, disorderliness in 2 Thessalonians, using a cognate word, might help fill in the meaning. Here we go. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Now, this injunction to warn the unruly comes in a series of exhortations about various other pastoral duties, and so it kind of has to stand alone contextually. But this is the same church that Paul had to admonish in 2 Thessalonians, and as it was the same church, it was likely that between the writing of the two letters, it had the same problems. And that means that Paul wanted the leaders to warn the unruly, to warn the unruly in 1 Thessalonians, this referring to those who were lazy about doing their own work and industrious about interfering in the business of others, the people who walk disorderly that are referred to in Second Thessalonians. So, warn those who are unruly, those who are officious, those who butt in, those who are disruptive, those who cause uh, commotions. So, my book, the book I'm reviewing this time for podcast 140 is a book called watermelons watermelons um and this is by a gent named dellingpole now dellingpole is a i believe a journalist he's a, he writes with uh some he writes with dash he's kind of funny he's he's a good writer maybe occasionally puts um too many eggs in the pudding when he's writing but who am i to complain about that eh right so dellingpole was the fellow who um made a name for himself because if you recall the Climate Gate scandal, when um, a bunch of emails from climate change scientists were released and basically came out, it was proven, it was shown, as you looked at these emails be, uh, between various climate change uh, gurus, that they were fudging the science, they were fixing the numbers, they were fooling around with the data, they were making sure that what came out in public fit with the narrative, fit with the narrative that they wanted to continue to tell. Okay, so Dellingpole was the guy who basically who broke that or who was um, very much in the thick of it during the, uh, during the controversy over the Climate Gate emails. Now, this was basically the, a lone journalist against the world because these climate change scientists are very, very, very well connected. And uh, they are capable of brazening something even like this, even a scandal as big as this, 
they are capable of brazening it out uh, because, uh, as, as you see, the people who are the people who did that are still in positions of influence. So Dellingpoll uh, cares a great deal about this climate change issue, and he understands uh, what is actually going on. And that brings me to the, the title of the book, Watermelons. Uh, watermelons, if you analyze them closely, are green on the outside and red on the inside. So basically, the, the argument here is that the climate change movement is not about clean air and clean water. It's about global control. Okay, so what he's arguing is that this movement is basically socialist at the core, socialist slash communist, totalitarian. Um, these are totalitarian planners who want to control every aspect of your life because the children or because the trees or because the frog or because, you know, they, they, will, they will use any excuse that results in them getting greater control over you. Okay. So um, what Dellingpole does is he, is he works through, uh, you know, there's the, there's the Club of Rome, for example, and he, and he, um, he works through statements. It's not like you're, <laughs> on the one hand, you might say there's the investigative reporter who finds out what happened behind closed doors which is what Dellingpole did when in his involvement in the uh, climate gate emails but a good portion of this book of this work is simply him going to websites of the club of rome for example of um, an anti-growth club and just reading just reading and quoting what's on their webpage or what they want environmentalists for environmentalists they are not trying to solve problems on behalf of the human race. They regard the human race as the problem. The human race needs to be dealt with. The human race needs to be culled. The human race needs to be cut back down to size. And according to them, the human race needs to be um, winnowed down to something like 500 million people total population. To summarize up, P.G. O'Rourke once said of this uh, mentality, this environmentalist mentality, way too much of you, just the right amount of me. Way too much of you, just the right amount of me. Watermelons is a brisk read. It's exhilarating. It's the kind of book that will motivate you, make you want to get involved in this. And basically, when you're done with this book, you will not want to have anything whatever to do with any kind of environmentalism. It is a scam. Basically, if someone in your presence starts using the word sustainable, you should be wondering whether or not you want to be friends with them anymore. Now, of course, I'm overstating it. But if you're a real friend, you're going to talk to them about it.